We'll see how that works if I mellow Michael tonight or not. Welcome everyone to Continuing Conversations, where we talk everything about Star Trek Adventures RPG. I'm Michael Dismuth, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, in addition to being a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for the game we're talking about. Let's go ahead and introduce Jim Johnson. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG published by Modifius Entertainment, a co-host on this here show, and super excited to have a bunch of great guests with us here tonight. And without any further ado, I think I'm just going to go clockwise around my screen, as you do, and uh, go, let's start with uh, Al. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How's it going? Uh, Al Spader, I'm a freelance mm-hmm. writer for Star Trek Adventures. Um, I wrote the bit in the player's uh, guide of uh, all the roles. So I'm excited to be here to discuss that. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm also a science teacher uh, at, in a middle school. So this is exciting. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for being here. As always, appreciate it. Uh, Jeff, let's talk to you for a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Jeff Harvey. I am a longtime podcaster, uh, gamer, and uh, content creator for various RPGs. Um, I was also one of the people who helped found the Star Trek STA Engage podcast some time ago, and uh, uh, you're watching it on my channel. So um, you can find Thank me you. in all the places at Studio Tembo. Um, yeah, everywhere. The, Got a bunch of TikToks would, coming out talking about the OTL recently. That's right. We <laughs> will be here. You started it. Jeff is the Jeff is the Scotty, the Jordy, the Balana behind the scenes. <laughs> getting it all done and we we can't i I don't thank you enough because i don't see you that often but thank you for everything that you do for for the show and i really really i enjoy it it. i enjoy it and i'm glad the fans really enjoy it although you two need to respond to some more of the the uh youtube comments there's a whole bunch of them i'll send them your way (laughs) oh okay yeah please do um i don't i don't i i I guess i need well i'm subscribed to the channel i guess i don't see the 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 comments that come up but yeah if you if there's something that that we need to address then please send them our way yeah, I didn't yeah, even I know. I'll, I'll go look. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And See, I'm helping uh, Aaron, the fans out. Aaron, round us out, please. Hi, I'm Aaron Pallier. Uh, I'm a longtime freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I'm typically the guy that writes a lot of the science stuff and uh, starships, a bit of the technology. Uh, I have a background in astrophysics, and I'm currently a climate change researcher. So I'm. this is kind of like my, uh, my episode, right? <laughs> well, one of them, I guess. One of but them, yeah. yeah. I think we got you on a bunch of episodes about Utopia Planitia because that was mm-hmm. if there was any book that was you that was that was one hundred well not not one hundred but that was a vast vast majority of you but yeah this episode all about scientists we're, in, we're like we, we last couple of weeks we talked about doctors we talked about captains we've co- mm-hmm. talked about uh, first officers now next up is uh, scientists and then next week we're going to talk about engineers and I don't know how you all feel but in my experience long experience playing Star Trek games not just Star Trek Adventures but just in general. Science engineering, bosom buddies involved mm-hmm. in like literally everything. Every episode, I was guaranteed that those two characters, those two players would have tons to do. Even if there wasn't anything specific for them to do, they would find a way to, to get mm-hmm. right down into the weeds. So let's open it up and talk about um, science in Star the science role in Star Trek Adventures. What's awesome about it? What's not so awesome about it? Um, I think Al, why don't you kick it off since you wrote the, the chapter in the player's guide? Uh, give us the give us the highlights here. I mean, yeah, because you uh, you when we were writing this said, hey, uh, let's make these roles. Uh, why are they the best role out of the book? And I had to do that for every single role that we have in the game. So um, as far as uh, science goes, I think that. Um, one of the great things about exploring uh, space is that you're always coming upon new things and uh, typically figuring out what those things are or, or what uh, how they work uh, is really rooted in science. So I feel like um, a scientist always has something to do, um, you know, uh, I think when you're on the bridge, that's really like revolving around um, scanning and analyzing data and um, trying to piece together what that means. Um, So what I really like about 
the science rolls the roll ability, which gives you an opportunity to learn more information um, as you are uh, as you are exploring. I thought that really was uh, flavorful. Like you can mine the data just a little bit more to find you know something else hidden uh, beneath it all. I really enjoyed uh, or enjoy that part of the role. Yeah, Starfleet at its core is obviously a science-based organization. I mean, they go out and explore the universe. And I think in the game context, almost every story that isn't character-centric is driven forward by the science character, the science role. Um, you don't, almost every quest you go on, again, that isn't character-driven directly, is almost always science-driven in some way. You're discovering anthropology or, uh, you know, some other mechanical thing even that's you know not quite engineering but the science behind the engineering i think it is probably the most i think it's probably the easiest role in star trek adventures to play mm -hmm. yeah it absolutely is because everything on a starship is going to be science related and uh for for any episode because you're the uh, a science officer is generally going to be the character that's going to be putting together the pieces of a puzzle in some way they're using the sensors of the ship and they're interpreting their senses sight sound whatever how you're seeing the universe they're the ones that are putting those pieces together and then trying to put out a theory so scientific method folks observation and you make your question like why is this star exploding or why is the crew getting sick yeah that's kind of a medical thing and that can go into the doctor you know, the, the chief medical officer role, but that's still science, right? Medicine is a science and you research, you try to figure out why something is happening. Um, and then you make your hypothesis. You try to figure out if you're right, you know, um, it's, important. So I, Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I guess it would be safe to say that, you know, Star Trek Adventures is a science fiction based RPG. Yes. So, so, so tonight, you know, we're going to be talking, of course, science, we're all thinking like, this is one of the easiest roles to talk about, mm -hmm. but, but how do we make it so that maybe what I'm going to ask tonight, like, where can we go where maybe scientists don't go? Usually, I know a lot of you have have all played characters that have some sort of science basis to them, but also how can the science officer invite other people to join that exploration with them, whether it's a helm officer or a doctor or whatever. So kind of let's expand it so that if someone's watching this and maybe, yeah, it's easy for them to be spotlighted at all times. They're the science officer. The only role that's spotlighted more is probably the captain. But but let's talk about how the science officers can invite others to to have the science okay. fun too. I think that's that's a pretty good question to ask. Like how do how do you involve other roles? Um, I can, I can come up with a, a way to start with this and that's helm. Uh, in order to collect data, you need to move your ship around when you get a different perspective on a phenomenon or you move out of an, of a phenomenon, your sensors can actually get a different perspective. Uh, you can start put piecing together more information, more accurate information, instructive interference in your ear sensors using two different viewpoints on the same thing and getting a higher resolution. So helm. I think that's a big deal. Uh, it can also be linked in through uh, the helm officer kind of knowing how space works in this area, how what's the texture of space time, so to speak. So, hey, the sensors are going to be warped a little bit because we're very close to this neutron star that, well, very close, relatively speaking. The neutron star is bending space time. Our sensors are going to be affected. Hey, I know that. Maybe you didn't uh, consider that at first. Yeah, and and to just to bounce off of that too, like uh, if you're in the helm, your navigate your nav navigation sensors might pick up something entirely different mm -hmm. um, than you know your your dorsal sensors or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think comparing notes. I think is a really uh, important thing that you can do. Um, you know, uh, it's possible that, you know, security scans will reveal different information um, than what your science scans are going to reveal and so on and so forth. And that uh, brings you around to interacting on the bridge, sharing what information you found to get a better picture of what it is that you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Different sensors are going to be tuned for different things and they're going to understand understand the information differently. It's kind of like, hey, if you're in a, in a submarine, you might be really close to the surface. You pop up your, your periscope and you have a radar on it and you're going to sweep the radar. 
you might pick up a ping way off in the distance on your radar. Well, what is that? It kind of looks large, but then my sonar can hear it has two screws. And that means, well, okay, well, it can, we've narrowed down what that exactly can be, what kind of surface vessel that would be. So two different types of sensors, two different systems, two different officers running those systems, putting the information together, getting more out of it than you would otherwise. And I would even go so far to say, uh, if you are a game master um, and your bridge crew is scanning an anomaly or something like that, and your con officer wants to, uh, you know, check the nav sensors, uh, do the sensor sweep task, but instead of having them roll science, let them roll con as part of that, Mm -hmm. you know, or let your security officer roll security as part of the sensor sweep because they're trying to get that kind of information out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once you have that, you discuss it with the scientist and then start piecing together um, a plan. Yeah, this is great. I love it. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I was going to um, just kind of piggyback off of that is, uh, you know, in uh, in reading and editing Aaron's stuff on spaceships over the years, and having talked to Thomas uh, Maroney over at the Star Trek Online about about ships, and you know, just reading the technical manuals and and stuff that we've enjoyed over the years, you know, it it, it helps me as a gamer and a game master to understand like the ship, right? The the sensor pallets are installed in certain sections of the ship, right? And and you can your con officer can actually you know maneuver the ship and it makes me think about the space program too right using mm-hmm. the RCS thrusters and the RCS system you can actually position those those sensor pallets in such a way that you're getting a better visual on whatever it is you're trying to scan which is super cool um, and then kind of like you know thinking about uh, um, Alice some of the things you were saying is um, you know one of the one of one of the character roles that I think doesn't get a lot of mention at least in the in the game circles that we've been talking to online over the years, is ops, right? Operations is all about managing all the different stations and pallets and stuff on the ship, all the resources on the ship. And a science officer is going to be all up in the ops officer's business on a daily basis saying, look, I need more power to these sensor pallets. I need more resources. I need, I need these labs opened over the holodeck or whatever. And so like there's a constant, you know, give and take there. I think, you know, good relationship, mm-hmm. uh, you know, challenging relationship could be whatever the relationship is between science and ops. Um, I think that this is a great opportunity. And, and now, Michael, I think, that, I don't know if you were doing this intentionally or not, but I, I, I kind of got the sense like we're channeling uh, Sam, uh, Sam DeLev from last the last episodes because she she is so amazing at at enabling other players Right. Like as a science officer, you're like, oh, I can go to the ops player and get them into a scene and talk about this stuff and see what happens. And then I can reach out to the con officer and I can get them involved. And there's just like so many things you can touch. And I think, you know, like, Michael, you were saying that, you know, it's a science fiction show. So, of course, the science officer is going to have a lot to do because it's like in it's in Star Trek's DNA. One of the things we've done actually in our game to talk about that is we've actually made it where the science officer was angry uh, because they were vying for resources. So we had a, what I did is I, the science officer is the chief science officer on our game has many departments under them. So I have the NPC science officers. If all of a sudden they're taken off course or they have to do what you said, like flip the ship to use the aft sensor palette. I have other scientists uh, complain about mm-hmm. how it just interrupted their vital experiments. So I go back to that mm-hmm. old uh, inner light, ex, uh, not the inner light, the one that Finnett followed um, when Picard was singing the flute and he met the woman on the piano and she oh, yeah. was upset because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because her, her experiments were upset. So based off of that, the science officer actually has to do a lot of negotiating sometimes with the mm-hmm. captain for mm-hmm. those resources. So I like creating complications and conflict around that whenever missions are interrupted i'm like hmm, who can i really get angry which science team was just affected <laughs> the geologists the astrophysicists you know that's a that's a way i like messing with science and officers. if you're playing the chief science officer on a ship um you're going to be in charge of the science division for the ship so that means you have constant meetings you're constantly putting together reports from other scientists and looking at their findings trying to mesh them all together especially on a larger shipwide project Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that's a big deal. Sensors, sensors are the senses of the ship, right? That's your field yeah. touch, see it, like everything else. And the science officer is kind of the you look at everything like from a, a spinning wheel point of view. They're the hub of everything. They can go to every character, and you can you can. One of the nice things about it is if you're if say you're in a nebula, and you're trying to to pilot through that, you you've got all your resources on how you can alter your engines. Talking to your uh, your engineer, you have the 
ability to uh, have the con officer move through the system with their, you know, uh, avoiding any debris and things like that. The ops officer, I need more resources to system B or the deflectors for this system and or, or, you know, in order to keep my uh, navigation sensors online. Um, the captain, obviously, you're going to interface with them in order to give them all the information. There isn't, in any one situation, there isn't any reason why the science officer couldn't interact or shouldn't interact with pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the counselor, but even then you have stuff you can get into. So, mm-hmm. yeah. especially yeah. if you're going for more, uh, if you're using the science character less as a mechanical drive for the for the motive of the, of the mechanics of the story and more of a, a personal connection, they can be a hub character that you can see because they talk to everybody. They can get the, the each character side of things, um, the captain and the, or the XO, and the chief engineer are having some some strife. The science officer can talk to both characters without that really interfering because they're a central character mm-hmm. in almost everything they do. You can supplement your mechanical role scenes, uh, like if you're doing extended tasks, and you want to just supplement some additional role play in there, that's a great way to, to advance not only mechanical parts of the story, but also the narrative parts of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people love Star Trek Adventures because of the supporting character um uh option in the game and so this chief science officer knowing all the divisions under their belt i'm reading actually uh um uh vanguard series right now mm-hmm. uh dane ward and and uh david mack and they have it so that spock knows which science is he which science officers they should bring we just saw it in strange new worlds where kirk's brother he's a life sciences and actually he's better for the mission than the main science character so Mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to create some conflict and if you want to play supporting characters have you filled up your roster um on your ship i know we have we have about 100 different characters and they will Google, they will Google search control F if they need a geologist or an anthropologist. And yep. so that's a really cool thing that Star Trek Adventures lets you do. Yeah. So I yeah. modified that rule that, and all of my players play multiple characters and they all play, generally play characters from each division. So each character has, each player has a character that is a science officer or whatever. Um, and their characters have different motivations and, and why they would go on certain missions. Um, that really does play in to help being build that tension too between two different science officers. Like mm-hmm. my character wanted, I wanted to take my character on this, but your character fits better. And then it also caused the problem of, well, at least my games, of, I wanted to play my other character to see if the science officer makes the most sense. Um, I, I do love the supporting character option though. I, yeah. I just modified it slightly for my particular game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think supporting characters are great. I, I love that Nathan put them into the game. And because it was something similar to what I was doing in a homebrew ages ago. And uh, I was I was I was blessed because I think pretty much every major Star Trek campaign that I've run, I've had a player at the sciences role who was willing to put in the work to create a supporting cast for his department. Right. Whether it was, uh, you know, junior science officers or, you know, doctors or whatever that were you know doctorate level scientists on the ship. But, you know, sometimes they would even create civilians. Right. Because like depending on your ship, you might have a cadre of civilian scientists as well, because, you know, of course, Starfleet's got the resources. And um, I, I just can I can posit that there are probably independent civilian science foundations and organizations that probably book time on Starfleet ships, just like, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, uh, science organizations used to book time on the on the shuttle. And it would like, you know, rent a pallet or whatever, whatever the equivalent was, and they would get their experiments put on the shuttle. But so it's probably the same idea for Starfleet, where you got Starfleet ships out there in the great unknown. It's like, oh, of course, I'm a civilian scientist. I want to go test my experiments. We see this all the time, especially on Next Generation. Uh, they always had civilian scientists for one reason or another. And so the science officer gets to be in charge of that stuff, gets to deal with that stuff. So not only are you, you know, probably Starfleet or maybe not Starfleet, depending on your character, but you also get to deal with civilians as well as Starfleet, right? And that could create a lot of tension because, of course, you know, one of the issues that the the writers of Next Gen always came up with was like, there's no conflict between our characters because they're all Starfleet and they're all hunky-dory with each other, which is why I think there were a lot of civilian scientists coming onto the ship because they needed to create some, some tension, right? And uh, I think that's a great opportunity is to, uh, uh, so I, you know, I guess to say, you know, for science players, you know, be willing to work with your game master and create that supporting cast of really weird, interesting characters, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, either supporting characters or as, you know, notable NPCs or something, just to create some more variety on the, uh, on the ship. Mm-hmm. I think we've all talked, Michael and Al and I have talked in our game a lot about science division 
supporting characters and and where that where they come from if they're civilians what what how they fit into the structure of the ship um what their specialties are what works best as a civilian specialist rather than a starfleet academy graduate that kind of thing Heck, Has we, anyone had an away team, we had an away team composed of a horda a dolphin and an exocomp <laughs> has true. anyone played a non-starfleet awesome. Uh, science officer in, in a Star Trek game yet? No, I, there there I've, are there are supporting characters in our game that are science sure. that are that are not. Yeah, Starfleet. all your all your playing all your main characters though are Starfleet officers. Yeah, so I suppose I suppose that leads the question of what would you guys do differently if you were playing a Starfleet character when you're playing a Starfleet character versus playing uh you know your main character is a civilian character in Star in a Starfleet situation. I mean, how would that you think that would change the way you play? The game in general i think i think that it would limit what their position on the ship is i don't think that there would be a civilian chief science officer sure. you know th that that just wouldn't that doesn't to me that doesn't fly but otherwise i would think that it wouldn't otherwise limit what you can do because if you're a civilian expert you're generally going to have a brevet rank assigned to you anyway based on mm -hmm like what degrees you have. So, I mean, if you have like multiple doctorates, you probably might end up like, if you're a really super highly skilled person, like let's say um, Carol Marcus, if she was actually on a ship and had a private rank, she might be a Lieutenant commander. Um, but if you have somebody that's, Hey, I'm, I'm working towards my four-year degree. Um, you might be like a nurse in sick bay or lab tech on the ship. So you're an enlisted type person. And then so somewhere in between there, but you're just not going to be in charge of a whole division or a, um, a whole work group. Yeah. And I think you, I think you mentioned it, Aaron, um, you said expert in there. And I know that there is a role in the player's guide that is mm -hmm. the expert. Um, so if you were playing a non um, Starfleet scientist, you could go in with that role mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, have some uh, cool little abilities as you're working. I would love, I would play it up as though, like, I had no idea on how command structure worked or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just, <laughs> like, you know, it was my, in my work and it had to get done. And, like, I think it would add some interesting conflict and yeah. be, like, almost a little annoyance on the crew. And mm -hmm. how do they deal with that? You know what I mean? I think that would be a really fun character to play. Her, her beta canon, there's been times where an admiral or Starfleet has appointed a scientific um, person to a mission, even not even sharing all the details of the mission with the captain themselves. They've had um, mm -hmm. a special order. So they're, they may not have you know command of the ship, but they can have command of a particular mission, which could create some interesting conflict if you were, say, in fact, we were designing an arc with an Oberth class. Um, we had been talking about that with Jim and Al and, and having a non-Starfleet person with a long-term research mission. Um, mm -hmm. that, that was going to create a lot of good conflict i think i think that makes sense like that kind of character would likely have orders from the federation science council so like starfleet takes orders in many ways from the federation science council like what what they say is hey we really want to put resources towards understanding this phenomenon or doing this research because it might make a breakthrough hey the we're going to try to do a trans warp experiment so we're going to put as many scientists as we can and whatever resources we need towards that and yes, so there might be a civilian totally in charge of that project. Okay, now we're going into riffing here, Jim. Let's yeah. do this. Let's go here for a second. I, I was, because, I was, I was going to suggest it because <laughs> you could create because I could see being given as orders from Starfleet for mm -hmm. some fringe science that there's they have to push the limits and maybe the value for that either the, the game has a trait or the character has a value that in order to find this science, they're going to have to push the limits. And then maybe the, the captain and some of the people on the crew have the preserved ship above all else value. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you have these great two conflicting, which I mean, that's, that, that's a story right in itself. Yeah. But there, and going beyond. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so going beyond the idea of just being a single episode or a handful of episodes, your motivations are completely different. When you're in, a, if you're a civilian character, your motivation is your field of study. Whereas if you're a Starfleet character, your motivation is likely more to be the betterment of the Federation or the Starfleet as a whole. Um, you've got a much less focused and refined driving force. As a civilian character, 
yeah, you've got you're you're doing this one project. That's a cool couple of episode arc, but it fails. That doesn't change your motivation. You still are pursuing that again and again and again. So not only do you push the value, push the limits of the value one time, it keeps going and going and going. And your your focus is so is so much easier to define. I think your motivation would be a lot easier to handle. Um, so for a newer player, I think it might actually be a good way to start out understanding how you do player motivations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about um, like in the Shackleton book, we have uh, Doctor Tolliver is a uh, is a major NPC. I could I could I could imagine somebody taking her on as a as a main character, and and getting directly involved in the exploration of the expanse, getting into the telecall uh, storyline and just digging down into that and, uh, and and being the civilian head of the scientist with a lot of political pull behind her, right? And I mm-hmm. think this plays into the idea, and I think, we, I think we, we talked about this a little bit with the captain in the first officer episodes, where, um, you know, we've been spending this whole episode talking about the scientist, the science role, you know, specifically, here's your job, here's what you do. We haven't even added on the layer yet of what your character is, right? Or who you or who you are as a person, right? If you think about Spock and Dax and Data, like those are some of the big science officers we've seen on the shows. Of course, there's certainly been others, but like they had a lot of stuff going on in their characters that had necessarily mm-hmm. nothing to do with being a scientist, right? Dax mm-hmm. had a symbiont and the whole back history of the Klingons and all kinds of other stuff. Spock, of course, is Spock. Data's an android. Like there are so many other layers that you can start putting on top of this. Uh, in addition to just being, you know, just being the scientist, whether you're civilian or, mm-hmm. or Starfleet. And I think that's one way to, if we're riffing, to make a, a civilian scientist work is not only are you a civilian scientist, but you've got, you could potentially have connections with other characters. You could have pull with the Admiral, the local Admiral. You could have pull with the Federation Science Council. Mm-hmm. There could be all kinds of stuff going on that that can really give your game master some really interesting strings to start pulling on. Rival scientists. Our yeah. our resident I, scientist, which is Aaron's character, our chief science officer, is big on writing white papers, essays, and dissertations, which have made them a guest lecturer at many a federation <laughs> function. So that makes it easy to, you know, find off-ship adventures or even, hey, what were you doing at that conference for the last two months? You know, it creates a lot of fun stuff as they delve mm-hmm. into their specialty in weird ways. Yeah, yeah it, I'm, glad, it, I'm glad that you mentioned that too, Michael, because um, one of the things I was just thinking of is the talents that exist for the science division, I think, are some of the most um, role playable talents in the game mm-hmm. uh, and can really uh, develop your character in fun ways when you are using them. I, I know Jim loves his baffling briefing um, talent, um, but like even just like, you know, have being font of knowledge or testing a theory, that type of stuff mm-hmm. is all very much role played as your character. Um, so when you are choosing those talents, try to think about how would your character go about doing that? What would they be saying? Um, because I think that they really give your uh, character a chance to shine. Mm-hmm. Studious. Studious. Yep. That That's, that's one I try to role play a lot. Just, you know, hey, I'm going to go into whatever data I have and really pick it apart and try to figure it out. Yeah. How, how does my character do that? Yeah. I can't remember the, the name of the, the talent, but there's one that allows you to basically get ranks in or a focus in any specialization for a limited time. I like that. Walking, oh, that's walking encyclopedia. encyclopedia. Walking yeah. Encyclopedia, yeah. He has that one, too. <laughs> I, yeah. You know what? But to be fair, I've only ever used it one time which i don't understand i would never came into play that game either (laughs) i don't understand i would use it every single episode it's one of the most amazing focus and this is this past game that we were just playing is the first time i used veteran i i don't like using talents unless i absolutely have to because i'd rather just role play it Mm -hmm. that's that's interesting we may have have, uh, you're not weird you're just you're just playing the way you want to play that's okay Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we need to we need to do a, like a whole episode on on the I don't want, I don't want to say pros and cons because there are no pros and cons but like 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 the the choice to have your talents inform your role playing versus yes. not versus not you know choosing not to right and, and, you know each option is equally valid right but like like me I think if I had some if I were to you know because there's only you only get a handful of talents right you got to be really selective about what you pick even though you can change them as you get milestones and stuff but like like if I if I'm going to go through the character creation process and be really intentional about picking four talents 
I would want to maximize the use of those as much as possible. And I think that would inform how I'm role playing my character. Like if I'm if I'm cautious or if I'm um, what's the what's the one talent um, uh, did the reading. Right? Uh, yes. That's a talent, right? Did the reading. Yep. Yeah, I, I would I would find a way to fold that into every every single scene I could possibly could just because that's such an essential part of my character. Right. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear your perspectives, uh, Aaron, yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective sometime on uh, on why you choose not to use them. Right. I, I think that's I, a fascinating I, conversation. Yeah. To add on to that, I want to do a contrast. Suppose um, Aaron feels that way. Then what I would suggest, which he has done also, is create talents that are so singular to their character that when they do get used then they're potent so he created one called grand theory of the mole it was this big area of space we were dealing with and we're not dealing with the mole every episode but when it comes up you know he's the expert on it so uh we may have to it gets rolled yeah that, that that's the episodes yeah. that it gets rolled and suddenly momentum just you know kind of blows right. up like popcorn but yeah i think I think even without using them as a mechanical effect, the idea of having them help inform the way you're going to role play the character and how their position on the ship is, is built. Um, having a character who is a walking encyclopedia, even if you never use the talent, just spouting off random facts occasionally. Like I had a Vulcan who oh, yeah. had that and I would just correct everyone about everything because I could. Um, <laughs> you're describing uh, my character. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. We're good. Before we digress too much, Jim, yes, we'll have an episode just about using yeah. talents to round out your character. I love this. Yeah. It's funny. No, yeah, walking encyclopedia is great for a scientist just because you are, especially if you're going to be a Starfleet scientist, you're going to have a very broad base of knowledge mm -hmm. that you're or, that you're going to start with. And then you're going to go through your Starfleet career probably even before you begin play and gain more knowledge from other little places. So even if you might not have the talent, it's a good idea to kind of say, hey, look, I might not have a focus of, uh, let's say, high energy physics or quantum physics, but I know something about it. I can, I can speak at length. I don't have the focus, but here you uh, go. Someone said something about this last week. I want to say it was you, Aaron. And I, actually, let's talk, go back to talking about designing your science officer for this game. And oh, okay. they said, suppose you have one main science you know, field of study, but what mm -hmm. if all of your other focuses and talents are still derivative of that main study so I, I forget who said it but to hmm. me i was like whoa that's so deep so say for instance archaeology mm -hmm. but say you also happen to have um uh exobiology so maybe it's archaeology that pertains to development biologic you know so, so creating yeah. connection between all that tissue i, I, I don't, don't know think if you that's said wrong it. no i yeah. didn't say that but i don't think that's a wrong approach at all because everyone's going to have something that you're most passionate in life about and especially if you're a scientist, you've gone to school for something. This is what drove you into your schooling. This is what drove you into your research. And as you kind of branch out, you're going to have those connections back to, to, to that core in some way, shape, or form. It's going to be a rare instance where you find something that's completely disconnected from what your original interest is. Um, not, not saying that it's impossible. It, it happens. I mean, I... I've fallen into interests as well that were outside of my initial, you know, research drive. But yeah, having it branch out and going, okay, well, I uh, like with my character as an example, again, you can say I started as my, my Tellarite as a psychiatrist and then he branched out and into like diplomacy. So he approaches diplomacy with this idea towards understanding people's mindset and their drives, their inner, their inner needs and traumas as a society. So kind of approaching it in that direction. And then he has his other weird sciences that are on the side that seemingly are completely disconnected, but they aren't. And that those are story points that should probably come out in story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like, I like uh, looking at focuses, focuses and saying, you know, let's do uh, three or four that are kind of broad and mm -hmm. maybe two or three that are a lot more narrow that may never pop up, but when they do pop up, it's an amazing story beat. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that um, Aaron and I uh, in the past have also discussed, um, you know, specialization uh, mm -hmm. in a focus, right? Because you could have, um, you know, exobiology as your focus um, uh, or xenobiology as your focus, but then maybe exogenetics as your specialization, right? Yeah. And so that would be like a much more narrow focus, um, uh, but way more interesting if it ever comes into play 
Yeah, and there's no rules for that in in the book, really. I mean, I think I touch on something like that in the science division book as a as a possibility. Like, hey, you might be, you might have uh, pathogens as a focus, but what kind of pathogens? Maybe you have a specialty in in Vulcan pathogens. Well, talk to your talk to your game master about that. Uh, maybe you can get a bonus of some sort or an immediate advantage when dealing with a pathogen that is specifically from Vulcan. And that would make sense. Uh, but otherwise, your pathogens as a broad focus, you still have the benefit of having a focus on it. Mm-hmm. It would just be something to work with your game master about. Yeah, but it I shows that kind of really broad net of science, that science can be both very broad and hyper-focused. Well, I think also it's at the session zero when your character is introduced. And again, this doesn't just go for science characters, but when the game master is looking at all the focuses and all the talents of everybody who's playing the game is mapping out the episodes in the future based Mm -hmm. off of that as much as possible. Um, And then, like I just had a new player who, after playing one game and then picked up the operations book, said, you know what? I want to swap a lot of these because I didn't I didn't picture what this game was going to be like before. I have new ideas. I'm like, let's go for it. This is your story, man. You know, mm-hmm. so so um, again, there's no wasted talents and focuses as long as you hold them up in the face of your game master and say, hey, bring this story, mm-hmm. bring this story out about my character. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and you know, just you, you saying that, Michael, makes me think like somehow we need to find a way to I, I have no idea what product we would fit it into. I'd have to think about this, but like, wouldn't it be cool if we could figure out a way to 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 tell game master or not tell, but suggest to game masters like. Once you've got all your care, all your player characters, you know, create some sort of matrix of their focuses and their talents and, and like and like think about ways that you can mix and match and create story ideas and like just to provide that kind of advice to them. And then connected to that is something I was just thinking about earlier, too, just listening to you all riff is, um, uh, you know, Al, I'm not going to say this was a missed opportunity because we didn't think of it, but wouldn't it be cool if we could somehow find a way to add a section to you know, some future product that that talks about each role and how that role can enable other roles to get involved in the game. I, again, I'm channeling Sam from last week or the last couple episodes. Like, hey, you're the science officer. If you want to be a good a good involved player, you know, supporting your other players, here's how to get the con officer involved. Here's how to get ops involved. Here's how to get the doctor involved in ways that you would have necessarily have thought of it before. Right. And and so you, so it's not just the, you know, it's not just you at the table. It's, it's your entire group. Gosh, wouldn't that be a neat conversation? And and now make sure to keep as one, you know, how we put little examples on everything, make sure to have where Spock calls McCoy and arm the torpedo in Star Trek and discover (laughs) country. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's tons of examples from Canon that we can pull from. Oh yeah. Um, so I want to take a pause here, and then I want to I want to ask everybody a question, kind of like getting to to one aspect of of, of playing the game, uh, and I want to, especially because science science is such a big a big gigantic thing, right? There's so much science. Um, if you know, imagine if you will, I, I know it might be hard for this group, but you know, you're all very imaginative, so I'm sure you'll manage. <laughs> imagine you are a new player coming into Star Trek Adventures. You don't know much about Star Trek. You don't know much about the game, but you know you're going to play the science officer, whether you've been voluntold that you're going to be the science officer or you thought, oh, you know, Dax and Spock, and they're pretty cool. I want to be a science officer. Um, you know, are they, are you going to be lost and confused? Is there enough material in the books that can help you along? Like, like how, how can a new player new to all of this be successful as a science officer, given that they probably don't have a multiple year degree or multiple degrees, like a lot of the Star Trek characters probably have multiple degrees. Uh, so, like, what, what, what can I do? I'm a, I'm a brand new player to the game. I have no science background whatsoever, other than maybe what I got in, in, uh, you know, public school or whatever. And I want to be the scientist. How can I be successful? You're going to be successful because you want to be that character. Like, I would say, I mean, that's a simple answer, right? But if you want to be that character, don't sweat the fact that you don't have a degree you will you're here to play a game and if you're at the table with a whole bunch of people that are that also know that hey you're going to be trying your best you might not know the difference between you know an m class star and a k class star big deal work with your game master the game master is going to be feeding you information as it is that's great and take your time don't feel intimidated you're going to grow with your character in the role you're going to learn little things and then 
start writing down writing down your notes, writing down your character logs. So, hey, science officer's log, I just learned this, this, and this. I think this is a very cool idea to do research in in the future. And then, hey, if it's a real thing from real science, you know, don't feel like you need to, but if you look it up later on, maybe you'll find about two or three different ideas that you can bring to the table next time when something similar gets brought up. Yeah, I think I think that um, a lot of that also falls on my shoulders as the game master, right? Um, if we've had this conversation during a session zero and, and you said, this sounds really interesting to me, I'm not much of a scientist, um, but I think this could be fun. Then on my end of things, I could be creating handouts like what is a tachyon, right? Or, um, you know, like if it's if I know it's something that we're going to be encountering, print off the wiki and yeah, slide it across the table when it, when you you know what I mean. Um, I think that uh, you know that will help them get the information that they need. Um, you know, and 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 as they start collecting all that, oh look, now you all you've got this scientific information, and if it ever pops up again, now you know. You know, um, I think I think and and I hate putting more work on the game master's uh, shoulders, but if you're really trying to hook new players on a game, it, it's all about comfort. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a real big fan of uh, preparing handouts uh, and things like that for players um, so that they've got they can reference it like they have something that they can go to um, and then come up with, uh, you know, a, a scientific explanation, so to speak. Pictures, yeah. diagrams and text. I mean, even even in our game, uh, there was a couple episodes where it was really early on. Maybe I, it was even before I actually started properly playing. Michael, you you put together some sort of uh, imagery that we actually pasted into the uh, the the Discord that we use, and to to show just kind of like what this was, what this would look like. And then here's, here's like the actual diagram of that we found on wiki of this is what space time torque looks like. And this is how you can explain it. Um, and you know what, if you make a mistake when you're the science officer and you're trying to explain something big deal, they do it on the right. show too. It it's depends okay. to me. No stress. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I'm just saying, don't, don't stress it. Just have right. fun with it. It, to me, it depends on if you're playing a long-term campaign, if you're doing a one-shot. If I'm introducing new players to one-shot, it's all going to be about handouts and graphics and things like that they can use. If I'm if I'm a player or a game master for a long-term campaign, I still use some of those things. But I also, as a player, I put the onus on myself to be able to make the character more believable. So there's a ton of material in the, in the books. Um, the science book is amazing. There's also a website called Star Trek Minutia, which is a I use for everything. Um, there's a ton of stuff out there for uh, like the Wikipedias and alpha uh, alpha mm -hmm. can beta can and all that stuff. Um, and again, as, as Aaron said, you don't have to be a scientist. You just have to sound fakely believable. Um, mm -hmm. Like just make it up as you go. And as long as you can own the techno babble you're throwing at the game and your game master is, is okay with it and can run with it and can see it, it works. I, yeah. as a game master, right. I have a, 118 page character uh, show Bible for my game. And when we have science that does things, I take that science and I put it in the book. This is the science of Star Trek. Now you can do these kinds of things again in the future. Um, mm -hmm. As for me, I like consistency in, in the way the science feels or the way the engineering feels. So that's something that I do again. That, that's an onus on me as a GM or as a player. Um, and I wouldn't expect that or demand that from anybody who's just starting out, especially it's a one shot. The more you play, though, I, the more I'm going to expect out of you as a player, and the more I would want people to expect out of me as a player and game master. So. Yeah, Jeff, we keep a game, game glossary. So when we do use new terms or introduce yep. a new science, we have a glossary so that later on when I reintroduce it, I say, oh, by the way, refer to the game glossary. And that yeah. refreshes everyone's mind. But uh, to answer your question, Jim, from the player's point of view, the question as a science officer, and actually any officer, but science officer, especially because of the context of this conversation, that I would arm yourself with if you're a new science officer is, 
what does this look like in nature? Like, what is it similar to in nature? So that enables all of a sudden the game master and, you know, train your game master ahead of time. It's like, I want comparisons because that's so Star Trek to do where they, where they make the the science so accessible to everyone Mm -hmm. by creating comparisons like, oh, well, this is a subspace eddy or a subspace sandbar. Okay, so now I'm going to go use Wikipedia and Google, and I'm going to Google that sandbars and how eddies move in the ocean. And I'm going to start coming up with my techno babble by putting tachyon or subspace or quantum in front of those words. (laughs) And I'm going to start and I'm going to say, oh, what we need is a, you know, we need we need to create a quantum whirlpool, you know, and then and then I'm going to build off of that first illustration that they give me. But my question is always going to be like, well, what is this like in nature that I've I've observed before? And then remember, Game Masters, your job is not to insist on what you thought was a good story. You're co-writing with your players. So as they come up with these ideas, roll with it, twist and turn. And if you want things to go a certain way, that's what threat is for. All right. (laughs) We just did that in a a, a game recently, too, where I was trying to describe, even with my character, like, this really complex idea about using subspace to, like, anchor the ship. And then I was like, oh, anchor. Let's just call it a subspace anchor. Okay, that works, you know, and it, you know, sometimes it comes naturally like that, where you're just kind of, you might come from a technobabble direction and then just realize, oh, I, I can do it this way and just explain it and everyone gets it finally. All right. right. And that's a good way as a character to, 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 uh, to help drive everything for like to, Rika, you can confound some GMs that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had many players who were come up with ideas that I had never, like I write a lot of stories that I don't write endings to. Like, I don't know how you're going to handle this. I put you in the hole. You guys get out of the hole. <laughs> exactly. And that's the kind of way they do it. Like they use the, the terminology like that to just throw it at me. Like, yeah, that sounds plausible. I, all right, we'll do that. And <laughs> as long as it makes a good story, whatever is the best for the narrative, that's what's going to work. And I think it, going into it with that mentality as a new player, I think that can really help you get comfortable with the position because I mean, role playing is really all about being comfortable with the people you're around and, and exposing mm. yourself. Well, I crack up too because, like, once you get that under your belt of techno babble, like, all of a sudden, uh, Aaron, who plays our chief science officer, he'll say something like crazy that I'm like, oh my Lord, where's this guy coming from? But everybody in the room kind of turns to him and, like, let's go with that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so the more proficient you become with the techno babble as a chief science officer, it's really fun to watch that evolve as a character. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that as a game master. And Jeff, you hit it, you hit it right on. Like, like, like when, when you get to a point in the game where your players are riffing off each other and coming up with these incredible, incredible possibilities that are way better than what I came up with, like in my, mm-hmm. in my, in my scribbled down notes, how I think it might turn out, maybe, I don't know. Um, and then the players are going off on all these tangents. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so great. Maybe I can just tweak it a little bit and give them a little, a little nudge here and there. But like 99 times out of 100, it's like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go with that. And then, yeah. and then we get to the resolution. But I, I just love that. I mean, there were so many times during, during my sessions where, like, I could just put myself on mute and sit back for you know half an hour and just listen to the player, the players, player, you know, playing their characters back and forth, coming up with all these incredible solutions. And I wasn't feeding them any, any information. They were just building the story together. You know, each other, the the, the true collaborative storytelling, and it's oh, it's so powerful. It, it's just it, it creates such a a great energy um it's I mean, one of the most fun things about being a game master yeah i mean seriously it's a it's a, it's a dopamine high for me so <laughs> yeah um anyway so gosh this has been such a great conversation i think we should probably start uh getting to the to the wind up here um i, I guess let's let's go around the the you know <laughs> around the, around the room around the screen whatever let's get some last thoughts on uh on playing playing a science officer you know what what's what 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 do you dig what do you what do you want and uh let's start with uh let's start with uh aaron I love being a science officer. I love playing a science officer because I love science, but I also like, I like teaching other people science, even if it might be some of the Star Trek science that's fake, I can still link it into real life stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Al's, Al's a teacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm a researcher, but I still love teaching. Um, that's really important. And it's great to get passionate about something that you have found either in science in your role as a science officer, like, hey, I'm passionate. I found this really cool idea in astronomy that I love. And you've gotten into it. And now you can share it with the rest of the people at your table. 
that that's just me coming into it normally. Hey, I can talk about stars all day long and different kinds of planets all day long to everybody in our game. And it helps in the role, but you don't need that to start with. You might find that in this role. Yeah. And that's what makes it cool. Nice. Awesome. Great. Uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts, uh, closing thoughts on uh, science? Uh, my favorite part of playing a science character is, is the interpersonality, the interpersonal connections. Uh, as we said before, I think the science officer tends to be the character that is the most upfront and the one that who can do the most other than maybe the captain to involve everyone else in the crew. And that's something that I really enjoy doing. It gives me a chance to role play more with everybody. Um, and I think it gives me an opportunity to explore my character in a deeper sense because I get more screen time essentially, um, which is greedy, but I like it. Mm -hmm. nice al what are your thoughts yeah um i would say uh you know this is your chance to have a lot of fun it's your chance to kind of um focus a little bit uh, a lot on the science but also a little bit on the fiction as well right get you can get as strange as you want with uh being a scientist like your reason for being on a ship whatever your experiments are whatever your project when, i remember when i first watched discovery and i saw paul stamets with like you know the fungus and i was like what is going on? Like, I'm like, this is the strangest thing in the world. Like, but it was weird and out there. And I think that's okay to embrace, like create your own little bit of science and make it like adjacent to what Trek science is uh, and have fun with it. Because I think that you can get really, really creative with um, what you can do and what you can study um, as far as being a science officer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Michael, I'll offer a couple of thoughts and I'll get it over to you for your thoughts. And then you can start off with the uh, shout outs. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll echo all this and say, you know, science officer is really, really fun. Um, so, you know, don't sweat the details, make it up as you go, make it, you know, you know, try to kind of make it sound plausible if you want to, but you know what, they've been faking it for 56 years on Star Trek. So don't, don't feel bad if you don't get it right. Cause there is no right. You know, you're just making it up. And, and I would also encourage, uh, players think about some of the sciences, that you don't normally see, like obviously astrophysics, chemistry, bio biochemistry, et cetera, are pretty popular, but like anthropology, archeology, span sociology, these are all sciences. The soft you, sciences. The soft yeah. sciences. You, you can have a perfectly viable chief science officer who's focused on the soft sciences just as much as the hard sciences. So get creative, do something different and see how like your choices for your character might shape the whole campaign, right? Like maybe maybe it's a more of a soft science focused uh, campaign that, you know, talk to your game master, of course, and your other players, but to just, you know, play with the possibilities. Cause like if you were to Google science <laughs> on Wikipedia or just in general, there's a lot of science out there. It's not just the traditional stuff that you see. So uh, have fun with it and, and be bold and be creative. Uh, Michael, your last thoughts on uh, on science? Yeah, it sums up basically everything um, everyone said. Again, when it comes to creating your science officer, find something you're actually passionate about in real life too. I, I actually invite anybody who creates a character to create take one thing that they actually have in life and take it to the future. So for instance, I'm talking about Aaron here, he's into atmospheric sciences and he brings that into the game with his character. Um, Al's into teaching and he has a daughter, which he taught, you know, um, and so in, in the game. Um, and so bring something you're doing. You know, if you happen to like cooking, make botany your specialty and be the scientist that's always going on the away missions to discover new foods and replenish the ship. Or maybe you're really into pets. Okay, so let's go ahead and do animal handling or pet psychology and, and, and bring that into the game. And the game master, again, is going to expound on it when all of a sudden you confront a wild animal in a jungle. Can you use your animal handling sciences, veterinary skills in order to change the tone of the game? So my invitation to you, instead of being paranoid about, oh, what focuses and talents I'm going to create for the character. You do something in your life that's STEAM, you know, science, technology, engineering, arts, mathematics. You already are an expert in at least one thing. So bring that into the game to form your character. And that will open up a lot of the other focuses, talents, and character development. Way more fun, too, when you can also... I'll, you know, I'll spot out organizational psychology with my characters, just or, or, or data analytics, which are what I do in real life, you know, so... It's Michael, you said you that. said biology and then animal handling, and I go, man, a, mm -hmm. a Klingon science officer that's a targ trainer. Oh, targ trainer! Oh, how wonderful! <laughs> I, mean, that'd be. Oh, I would love it. Cool. So wow. that would be fun. 
All right. So, so man, we're going to have to do we, every episode. We create like two more things to talk about. So I think we're going to all have to like have a create your favorite science officer episode. And then we're going to have a fo- how to use your bet, uh, create super great ta- focus talents episode too. <laughs> all right. So of course I like doing gratitude um, as usual. Um, you know, I didn't do gratitude for 2022 and normally I do brick and mortar. I know that, but I actually wanted to do a 2022 gratitude and it was based off things, um, that I had heard from people and fans of the game on social media. And so my gratitude actually goes to you today, Jim, because people were commenting today about the different writers you have from different backgrounds. And as they watch our show, we're going to see a lot more of it this year, the variety of people and backgrounds and educations um, and lifestyles that are coming on the show and playing the game. Um, and honestly, you know, for me, where, you know, and my probably Alan and Aaron is the same thing, um, um, or, or others you've invited into the, into um, the game is you, you, you don't, just wait for people to go to you. You actually reach out to them. And so I know I'm busy trying to pay it forward. I know everybody here does the same thing. So I'm going to thank you for that, Jim, because 2022 was an amazing year for Star Trek Adventures. And I have a feeling that uh, 2023 is going to be even a bigger year. And so I commit to paying it forward in reflection of you. Um, Well, humbly, thank you very much. All right. Let's pass it over to Aaron. Gratitude. And then you pass the baton. I'm I'm, I'm grateful to have the people that are here in the community you guys at the game um everybody you know in our game and the other writers because how often do you find a group of people that you can just truly like pour your energy and passion out and not really just get it tossed to the side or ignored like everybody here in the game the writers the fan base they'll just take that energy grab it and go yes let's 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 amplify it and keep going and throw out more energy out into the ether. I'm so grateful to have that. And thank you, Jeff. Uh, It's, it's not redundant, but I think I spend a lot of time seeing what the fans talk about. I want, I go to a lot of the Facebook pages and discord servers and like that. And I think uh, if I have gratitude for anything really, and it comes to this game, it is definitely that Um, the fans make it fun to do this stuff i'm not on camera often but i enjoy doing these edits and stuff and getting these things out because i like to see the reaction these fans have and the 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 growing community is um is very dear to me and i i have got a gratitude for all of the uh all of the people who put forward the effort to to make comments and to share the videos and that kind of thing um spread the idea of the hobby around um and just make the time not feel like i'm wasting my time (laughs) Good thoughts. Thank you, um, Al. We, we, how do you want to bring it out for your gratitude? I just want to. I just want to thank all the game masters out there that are introducing uh, new people to the game. Um, you know, we we grow the game slowly and steadily, and it's as big now as it's ever been. Um, and it's uh, you know we have you to thank for that. You know, if you can expose one new table of players to the game and two of them get hooked. I mean, that's how the game keeps going. So I appreciate all of you that are taking time out of uh, your schedule to um, plan and run sessions for new players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one, one, one fan at a time. That's how you do it. Right. Star Trek's been doing that for 56 years. Other game companies have been doing that for, for 40 odd years or whatever. Right. It doesn't happen overnight. You gotta, you gotta put the grind in, you gotta put the work in. Right. So uh, I got two thank yous. Uh, first thank you is to, all of the all of the science advisors for all of the Star Trek shows over the years who helped the writers, who helped the actors make it sound believable and so that you, they put it on the screen, you didn't think about it too often. Like sometimes there'd be like a little bit of like, what what are they doing? Okay. Uh, but like Star Trek has inspired so many people to get into sciences and to the into the space program and so much else, and has just inspired the layman, lay people, excuse me, like me. Uh, who like, here's the science. It's like, Hey, that sounds good enough. Or maybe I'll go do some research. And that's the job, right? You, you, I mean, that's, that's the win is like, you're getting people to go be curious and and go learn something new. And even if you heard something on Star Trek that didn't quite sound right, then you can go research it and like, Oh, I would have done it this way, or I would have done it that way or whatever. So thank you to all the people involved in the, sh- in the shows, uh, scientists who, who helped the, the writers and then the writers who wrote the dialogue. And then of course the actors who had to actually put those words into their mouths 
and make it sound believable. I, I, I hats off to them day in and day out. You know, I mean, you, you mentioned Samus, you know, Jordy, Data, everybody, I mean, all of them, Spock, et cetera. So much techno babble. Like, how do you make it? But they, they, but they made it work because that's their job. They're professionals. Uh, and then the other thank you, uh, I'll echo literally everybody on this call is like, thank you to the fans. I, I cannot thank you enough. I, we've been doing this for 60 odd episodes now, and I will continue to thank you every single episode because without the fans, we wouldn't have a game. We wouldn't be going into year seven on this game without without a, a strong, healthy fan base backing us up, supporting each other, um, you know, loving the game. Uh, like, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not on every channel. I, I'm sure there's conversations about the game that I haven't seen yet, although I, I, I don't know where they would be. But uh, like, there's so much positive support from the fans to other fans like got nothing to do with me or any of you guys as writers that I, I know you're all very supportive on all the different channels but to see the fans taking it upon themselves to help other fans and to and to answer the questions is, is just so valuable um so thank you for all your support as always and ever um so thank you all right so with that we continue the conversation thank you everyone for joining us aaron al jeff and always jim id i see Be safe, be well, live long and prosper. Thank you, Michael. Thank you all. We'll talk to you next time.